Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. How many of you have ever looked at the claims of medicines? Any of you? The claims of medicines. No? I just had a look. I'll start again. Yeah? How many of you have looked at the claims of medicines? What they claim about themselves? Yeah. No, no, what they claim to be able to do. Because I had to look at some this week. And here's a couple that I found. I found on the internet a natural stress remedy. And it says, it relieves everyday stress naturally. A herbal remedy traditionally used for stress and nervous tension. And in particular for that associated with the changing demands of modern life. And it also provides progressive relief for the mild anxiety and relieves the nervous strain while giving up smoking. Sounds good, doesn't it? I found an advert for aloe vera juice. Now, do you know, I never realised before that aloe vera juice can cure almost anything. I just pulled out a few. It said, aloe vera is a naturally cooling and nourishing plant renowned for maintaining youthful looks. I think I might have left that a bit late. (laughs) Healthy skin and balanced digestion. It's been used for thousands of years for its healing properties and is one of the most potent cleansing and rejuvenating elixirs. It has an amazing versatility. And then it started to list the benefits. Under skin problems, it says it can help with general inflammation, acne, eczema and psoriasis. Under digestion and detox, it says it's famed for its ability to clean the liver, clear inflammatory heat from the body. It will bring gentle detoxification and it can be used to protect the digestive system, and in particular to treat common problems such as irritable bowel syndrome. And apparently it is renowned for its ability to reduce intestinal inflammation. When you look at women's health problems, it is amazing. It says its affinity for the female reproductive system Helps it, regulating, helps it regulate the menstrual cycle. And it goes on to list all sorts of things that I don't want to get into this morning. <laughs> and the list went on. It didn't stop there. There seems to be nothing that aloe vera juice can't help with. And I think if you look on the internet, what you start to find is that there is a tonic or remedy for nearly everything. But there's something wrong with that. 
there's something wrong with that because actually we can't live our life just relying on tonics and medicines. We all know we have to keep a balanced diet. Sometimes a food supplement or a period of healthy eating will bring benefits. But actually, the key to staying healthy is a good, balanced diet. Over the next few months, we're going to be looking at the Book of Acts. And I think as we do that, it's going to be something like a tonic to us. It's going to be something like a food supplement that will help many of us spiritually. I'm sure we can all look back at times in the past when we've eaten a spiritually unhealthy diet. We may have picked up thoughts and attitudes which were never intended to be part of the church. And so I think a tonic will do us all good. Martin Lloyd-Jones said about the book of Acts, live in that book. I exhort you, it is a tonic, the greatest tonic I know in the realm of the spirit. And that's what I want to, to encourage us to do over the next few months, to live in the book of Acts, to see what it has to teach us. Now this morning, I'm just going to do an introduction. But even in preparing this introduction, I just found God had things to say to us. I mean, I would have been disappointed if he didn't. I'd have wondered whether I should do it. But even in doing an introduction, I found God had things to say to us this morning. So before we dive straight into the book of Acts, I want to take a bit of time just to look at the background and the context in which it was written. Luke doesn't actually name himself in the book, but it is really widely believed that he was the author of the book of Acts. And there is a certain amount of documentary evidence about that. Um, a lot of it comes out of early church writings about 170 AD, but it's backed up by what the author says about himself in the book. In several sections in Acts, as we go through it, you'll find he uses we, so it had to be someone with whoever was there and whatever was going on at the time. And careful study of those passages point to Luke being the author. Now, looking at what's included in the book of Acts and what we know happened soon after that you would have thought would be included but has been left out, it's usually dated at some time around 63 to 70 AD. So that is well within the lifetime of someone who was alive on earth when Christ was. Luke's believed to be a physician, a doctor. And from the vocabulary he uses in the book and, and that, he's clearly an educated man. And in Colossians 4, Paul actually talks about Luke being a doctor. Luke was a Gentile by birth, but he'd been educated in the Greek culture. And he was a co-worker and a loyal friend of Paul's. And the book, just like the Gospel of Luke, is addressed to Theophilus. Literally, that's a Greek name. It means 
God lover. He was probably Luke's patron, a high standing Roman, and he may have published Luke's writings. So why did Luke write the book of Acts? I want us to start off by looking at three short passages, two from Luke and one from Acts. To begin with, Luke chapter 1 verse 1. He writes, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled amongst us just as they were handed down to us by those who, from the first, were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Then at the end of the book of Luke, in Luke 24, verse 46 onwards, he says, He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And then the book of Acts itself opens with this. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about everything that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. (coughs) After his suffering... He showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptised with water, but in a few days you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. From those passages, it's clear that right at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, that Luke has a purpose in mind. 
In fact, he had several. The main one was to create and record a clear historical account of what was going on. And in Luke, we see that. We see a historical account of everything that Jesus had taught and done. And we see it again in Acts. What we see in Acts is a record of the fulfillment of the empowerment of the church with the Holy Spirit and its growth and its spread and the spread of the gospel. If you like, in Acts what we see is an account of what Jesus continued to do through his church. Now that might have been his intent, but actually he created something which was far more powerful and gripping than a pure historical record. And the reason for that is he records a number of things. The first is he records the outworking of God's sovereign plan. Right at the beginning in Luke 1.1, he refers to things that have already been fulfilled amongst us. He's noting that they are things that have been foretold in centuries before. And so it is part of God's outworking of his plan of salvation. He uses reliable sources. He talks about eyewitnesses and servants of the word. He says he's been careful to thoroughly investigate everything he writes. And he goes on to say he wants to assure Theophilus of the reliability of his account. He wants Theophilus to be absolutely sure. And in Luke 24, we can see what it is he wants him to be sure about. He wants him to be sure that Christ suffered and died and rose from the dead. And in Acts 1, he reinforces that in verse 3. Because in verse 3, he says, After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave convincing proofs that he was alive. He wanted Theophilus to be sure that the gospel was not just for the nation of Israel, but was for all nations. Because in verse 47, in Acts 24, he says, And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. And again, he opens Acts by reinforcing that. And it's interesting, the disciples obviously hadn't picked up on that properly. They hadn't picked up this to the nations. Because in Acts 1.6, they ask him, here is the ascended Christ in their midst, and they say to him, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he had to remind them, and he said, no, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now that's a focus that we find we have to work hard on today. We must never forget our call to the nations. It's easy when we focus on our own locality to forget the bigger picture. 
And then he wanted Theophilus to be sure of something else. And that was that the power of the Holy Spirit was available for us. And so he writes in Acts 1 verses 4 and 5, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. God's plan was being worked out. As we go through Acts and as we look at it in more detail, we will find that the apostles never lost their sense of being commissioned by God. They knew they were commissioned by God to preach and proclaim his gospel. And they did it as spirit-filled witnesses. And we're just going to look very quickly this morning at two examples of that. The first is the example of Peter and John. You'll find this in Acts 4. They were before the Sanhedrin. They were up on charges. They should have been on the defensive. But actually, because of God's Spirit's power in their life, they took the opportunity to preach. It says in Acts 4, verse 13 and 14, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realised that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. Now this is the same Peter who only a while before was cowering in the shadows, not wishing to be recognised or associated with Christ. We see the same when we look at the story of Stephen. In Acts 6, Stephen is described as full of faith in the Holy Spirit. That's in verse 5. He's described as full of God's grace and power. That's verse 8. He's been elected to a position that it says needs the fullness of the Spirit and wisdom. That's in verse 3. And then he's faced with the prospect of trial and death. Now, I don't know what you'd feel if you were up before a court for preaching the good news of Christ and you faced death. What would you be hoping for? Would you be hoping that the Holy Spirit or God would somehow get you out of that situation? I think that would be a common reaction. That's not what happened to Stephen. Instead, the Holy Spirit emboldened him. And he went on to preach. And he gave a clear account of the gospel. In fact, he is so bold, he even accuses the Sanhedrin 
who are trying him of being on trial themselves. He says, you are representatives of Israel. You are on trial yourself. And so, emboldened, he remained faithful even to the point of his death. So a tonic, I started off by talking about tonics and medicines. Did you know there's a scientific basis to the belief that chicken soup is good for you when you've got flu? Did you know that? A doctor writes, I decided to investigate what it is about chicken soup that makes the ailing patient feel better. So I reviewed several studies. All the research agrees that chicken soup helps break up congestion, eases the flow of nasal secretions. Many say it also inhibits white blood cells that trigger the inflammatory response, causing sore throats and the production of phlegm. Chicken also contains an amino acid called cysteine that's released when you make the soup. This amino acid thins the mucus in the lungs, aiding the healing process. When you combine that with nutrition, sorry, nutritionally rich veggies, homemade chicken soup can definitely help the healing process to those who, who fall prey to colds or the flu. Well, it's simple. When you've got flu, you want loads of chicken soup. Martin, soup. We'll still pray for you. Before you, before you get worried and say, chicken soup, where does that come from? I remember a few years back when we were in Bedford, we were friendly with an American family. They were in the UK for a while before going out to the Lebanon. And Mary used to, from time to time, refer to a book that she loved. And she kept calling this book chicken soup. Now, actually, I did one time look this book up on the internet, and I found out what it is. And it is. It's called A Little Chicken Soup for the Soul. It's a book full of single-page, real stories and testimonies. But they have something in common. They're stories that encourage and uplift they're stories that restore your faith in human nature. And so when you're feeling a little bit, they give you a lift. They act as a bit of a tonic. What I want to tell you this morning is the book of Acts is better than chicken soup. Because when you read it, 
It will encourage you. It will challenge you. It will give you a rise in faith as to what your God can do. It will strengthen your trust in him. As a consequence of that, it will weaken your self-reliance and deal with your pride. It will widen your vision and it will expose you to God's heart for the nations. But it will also do something else. As you read about what God did in the early church, it will remind you about what he's doing amongst us now. Because some of it is exactly the same. When you read in Acts about healings, it will make you think, but that still happens. It happened last week. Betty got her shoes on. So I want to encourage you to do two things. Next week, yeah, this week coming, I want to encourage you to read the whole book of Acts. It's only about 30 pages long. Now most of us could read a novel at three or four hundred pages in a week. Most of us enjoy doing that. I want to encourage you to read right through the book of Acts just like you would a novel. Just like you would a historical or period drama. Don't particularly worry about it. Don't study it. Don't try and analyse it. Just read it and enjoy it. Because it's telling you a slice of history. Okay, so I'd like to challenge you, just read it through, just like you would a book. Don't worry about what does this mean, just read it and enjoy it. Read it for the purpose it was first written, as a Holy Spirit inspired record of what God was doing. And then the second thing is as we look at Acts week by week, Try and get a bit beneath the surface. See what we can learn. As we do that, let it remind you of what God has done for us. Let it challenge your thinking, your preconceptions about God, about missions, about evangelism, and about the church. We want to be a New Testament style church. If there are things that Acts tell us that we've got wrong, we want to address them. Let it build up your faith. Let it give you some more trust in God and let it increase your expectations. Let it make you more reliant on God in everything you do. Because that's what the early church was like. They were totally dependent on God. And most of all, let it restore something in you. Let it restore your vision, your commitment and your energy. Because what I find when I read through the book of Acts, 
says, it just reminds me about what an awesome, faithful God we serve. It reminds me about the importance of our mission and the call God has put on our lives. So I want to bring you an easy challenge this week. Read Acts and let it be a tonic to your spirit. Does that sound too hard? Are you with me in this? Yes. Yeah? So next Sunday, when we carry on, I can have a firm expectation that we're all going to have a background knowledge of Acts. Is that good? Yeah. Excellent. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk 